You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. More than 3,000 people were forced to flee their homes in San Bernardino, California, as a wildfire grew so massive the sky turned red for miles around. At least a dozen people had been injured and one died. The cause of the blaze? A pyrotechnic machine that was supposed to make candy-colored smoke for a gender reveal party. As of this recording, it's been burning for more than a month. And this isn't even the first time. In 2017, a gender reveal party with a fiery element went wrong in Arizona, consuming more than 40,000 acres of forest land and costing the man who triggered it over $8 million. My name's Moxie, and this is your Brain on Facts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. According to the active fire map on the USDA Forest Service website, which you'll find in the show notes, dozens of large forest fires are burning across 13 western states right now. The whole thing has a very 2020 feel to it, but 2020 was only keeping up the trend. Six of the worst fire seasons in the last 50 years have happened since the year 2000. Though 2015 was the worst year on record in America so far, wildfire season in general is only getting worse in terms of both numbers of fires and in acres burned. And things aren't likely to get better in any kind of hurry. Four and a half million U.S. homes are identified as high or extreme risk of wildfire damage, with half of those being in California. Today's episode could easily have been part of our infrequent We Can't Have Nice Things series. According to the Insurance Information Institute, as many as 90% of wildfires in the U.S. are caused by people. Debris burning kindles the most human-made fires, followed by arson, Equipment use, which includes power lines and substations, which burn more acres than any other cause in California in 2015, and was the source of the fires that devastated wine country and killed 10 people in 2017, followed by campfires and kids playing with fireworks or matches. The remaining 10% is started by lightning and... Can you guess? I'll give you a few seconds to guess. The remaining wildfire cause? Lava. Did you get it? On your honor. Shout out on the social media, Facebook and Instagram, Your Brain on Facts, and Twitter at Brain on Facts Pod, if you did, and I'll send you some stickers. A seasonal firefighter from Arizona pled guilty to starting the Rodeo Chadisky fire in 2002. He confessed that he had ignited these so-called wildfires in hopes that the Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs would hire him for their quick-response fire crew. 
The fire began as two different sets of wildfires, hence the hyphenated name, in different locations. However, dry vegetation and high wind caused the fires to combine to disastrous consequences. In the end, it took almost a month to get it under control, and it damaged more than 469,000 acres of forest land. Since the damaged area was so vast, restoration would not come cheap. More on the actual quantified cost later. Ecosystem resources were destroyed and the water cycle in the area severely disrupted. To try to make amends, the government had to drop more than 20,000 tons of grass seed, winter wheat, and other seedlings on the region. The intent was to speed up the regrowth of vegetation in the area. The Cedar Fire in San Diego County, California, burned over a quarter million acres, or about 1,200 kilometers square, of land during October and November of 2003. Investigators determined the fire was started by Sergio Martinez, a novice hunter who had been out on his own and became lost. Martinez initially told investigators he'd fired a shot from his rifle to try to draw attention, and that shot had caused the fire. But he later recanted and admitted he started the fire intentionally as a signal to rescuers. After gathering sticks and brush, Martinez lit it and quickly lost control of it. Because of the heat, low humidity, and low moisture in the area, the surrounding vegetation caught quickly. Martinez was charged in federal court with setting the fire and also lying about it. The feds don't like lying. Well, they don't like when we lie to them, anyway. In November 2005, a federal judge sentenced Martinez to six months in a work furlough program and ordered him to complete 960 hours of community service. He was also sentenced to five years probation and restitution of $9,000. As part of his plea, the prosecutors did drop the charges of lying to the investigators. Smoking as the source of stray sparks isn't as common as it used to be, but it still makes the top five. The discarded butts of a South Dakota woman burned 83,000 acres in the year 2000, or 7% of the Black Hills National Forest. She didn't just toss it out her car window, which would be bad enough. She had pulled off the road to pee. Now, she could have dropped her ciggy in the puddle she had just created, but no, she had to drop it on the dry grass. Watch the grass catch fire, get in her car, and drive away. On the plus side, she won't be far from a toilet next time she needs one, as she'll be in prison until 2025. Isn't that a bit harsh, you might ask? Well, she also copped to setting three fires on purpose in Wyoming. A homeowner doing the wiring for his new hot tub started a 76,000-acre fire, the third most destructive in California history when it happened. Next time, just spring for the electrician. A pair of Oregon homeowners insisted on mowing their lawn even though their county had forbidden mowing during the day, along with more typical fire hazard activities like campfires and fireworks. That fire burned 25,000 acres. The homeowners, a senior couple, were initially only given small fines for the mowing, but officials later sent them a slightly larger bill for $37 million. 
the cost of battling the blaze. They could have taken a page from a California man a decade before who got four years in prison for a fire that destroyed 80 homes and 11,000 acres, and all because he just had to mow his lawn. You know, I actually realized the other day, I have never once in my life used a lawnmower. Most of my adult life, I raised goats, who worked on the grass a little bit, but mostly I just didn't care if the yard was overgrown. I still don't. The husband, on the other hand, has both a riding lawnmower and, not a word of a lie, a scythe. He's going to party like it's 1399. While the 2002 Rodeo Fire was moving across the Arizona desert, a local woman got stranded in her car after it ran out of gas. In an attempt to get attention from a news helicopter covering the wildfire, Valinda Jo Elliott started a fire of her own. Although it worked and rescuers found her, the Chudesky Peak fire that she started was the one that hooked up with the Rodeo Fire and wiped out over 400 homes and nearly half a million acres. An equally easy to identify incendiarius was an influencer in huge bunny ears who thought a fire would really engage his followers. In 2016, one Johnny Mullins started a fire in the woods of Kentucky and went live on Facebook to describe it to his audience, like an actual news reporter live on the scene. Firefighters arrived a short time later, because it was pretty easy to find it, and put it out. Johnny Mullins was charged with second-degree arson. The news cycle seemed to lose interest after his indictment because I don't see any articles about the sentencing, but every article I did find describes him as an inspiring weatherman, so I will too, though I suspect that ship has sailed. A lot of relationships end badly, leaving a swath of collateral damage in their wake. We've all been there. But I bet none of your breakups ever resulted in six deaths and the largest wildfire in your state's history. Or maybe it did. I don't know your life. In June 2002, the Heyman Fire, named for a mining ghost town, took off smack dab in the middle of Colorado. When then-Governor Bill Owens returned from flying over the region, he told reporters, It looks as if all of Colorado is burning today. The fire resulted directly in the death of one civilian from a fatal asthma attack and the deaths of five firefighters. It also took a toll to the tune of $39.1 million in suppression costs and total private property losses valued at over $40 million. While the fire burned, record amounts of particulate matter could be measured in the air, and after the fire was all done and dusted, the area was now highly susceptible to flooding, which washed out many roads and bridges, including State Highway 67. Oh, and the floods washed so much sediment into the reservoir that provides drinking water for Denver that it cost another 25 mil to remove it. And of course, tourism in the national and state parks dropped precipitously, costing the region even more money. Local businesses were estimated to have lost 50% of their seasonal revenue. So who was the ignorant, arrogant, or malicious miscreant behind it all? Of all people, a forestry technician with the U.S. Forest Service is the one to blame. 
Terry Barton ignored a total burn ban and set a fire in a campfire ring. Well, the devil's advocate would say, she must have had some legitimate reason. Well, to her, maybe. Barton told federal investigators that she was attempting to burn a letter from her estranged husband. Her own teenage daughters testified that Barton was actually burning a letter in which she had written out all of her feelings about her collapsed marriage. Local residents weren't convinced. Some accused her of starting the fire in Colorado so that she could stay closer to home to be with her children during the summer rather than being called away to fight fires in California or Arizona. And that sort of thing isn't a completely blue-sky left-field idea. In 2002, seasonal firefighter Leonard Gregg started the brush fire on the Fort Apache Indian Reservation in hopes that the wildfire would help him land a full-time job on the quick response team. I'm not sure what phase two of the plan was, but what Leonard got was arrested and sentenced to 10 years in prison. Now, investigators also speculated that Barton had started the fire so that she could be a hero for putting it out. That old chestnut. Regardless of why the Heyman fire started, it spread quickly across four counties. Colorado counties are pretty big. The fire damaged over 138,000 acres, or for those in the home counties, over 560 square kilometers. A federal grand jury indicted Barton on four felony counts of arson, and she pled guilty to setting fire to federal forest land and lying to investigators. The judge sentenced her to six years in federal prison, but declined to impose the $14 million restitution the prosecution was asking for. In state court, Barton was sentenced to 12 years in prison to run concurrently with the federal sentence, but the state sentence was overturned on appeal. The appellate court declared the presiding judge had the appearance of prejudice because he'd left his home for a single night due to the smoke from the Heyman fire. Now, despite all the hours I spent watching Law & Order, and there were many, I won't claim to know how a change of venue process actually works, but it seemed to me like you'd have to be clear across the state to avoid a judge or a jury member who was affected in some way by the fire. A third judge sentenced Barton to 15 years of probation and a thousand hours of community service. Several insurance companies filed a $7 million lawsuit against the government in the fall of 2008, claiming that Barton was negligent in her duties as a Forest Service employee. The judge in that case ruled that the government was not responsible for Barton's actions because she was not acting as a government worker, she was acting as an angry spouse. Somewhere in the course of these many court appearances, the $14 million restitution was ordered, which Barton is paying off with monthly payments of $150. Even if there is no interest applied, at that rate, it will take Terry Barton 7,778 years to pay it off. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. 
All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. Yeah. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. Things done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Even though only a portion of the money spent to control these mammoth fires could ever be recovered... Restitution orders have become more common over the recent years. A teenager in Oregon setting off firecrackers accidentally started a wildfire so large that ash fell near the Canadian border. The fire took more than three months to contain and at one point trapped hundreds of hikers, though thankfully they were all rescued with no casualties. The judge in that case seemed ready to slap the 15-year-old with a $40 million bill for restitution, but admitted that might not be a practical solution. So instead, sentenced him to 1,900 hours of community service, five years probation, and he could start making payments toward restitution after 10 years, giving him at least a little time to get set up in his adult life before he starts making payments that will never end. The Wallow Fire, named for the Bear Wallow Wilderness area where it started, burned 840 square miles across Arizona and New Mexico. Adult cousins Caleb and David Malbouf pled guilty to charges that they accidentally started the Wallow Fire in the summer of 2011 when they left their campsite with the fire still smoldering. For starting the largest wildfire in Arizona's history, the judge ordered them to pay $3.7 million in restitution at $500 a month, which will be distributed first to people who lost their homes and didn't have homeowner's insurance. Join me in my weary, unsurprised anger that the court's distribution schedule for the restitution doesn't include any restitution for the San Carlos or White Mountain Apache tribes. Forest fires come at a high price for everyone, in financial cost, lost property, and lost lives. The Esperanza fire cost one more life than most. The fire was deliberately set by a man named Raymond Lee Euler, a fitting name for a serial killer, and was spread by his unwitting accomplice, the Santa Ana Winds. 
The fire was started on October 26, 2006, and burned an estimated 40,000 acres, or 163 square kilometers, west of Palm Springs, California, in just three days. There were reports that the smoke from the fire could be smelled as far away as San Diego. The fire damaged State Route 243 and destroyed dozens of buildings, including an historic building called the Octagon House that five firefighters died trying to protect. The firefighters were overwhelmed when the winds shifted and blew the fire toward them. To give you a sense of how quickly the tides can turn, two of the firefighters died next to their fire truck, not having enough time to get inside between reaching it and succumbing. Governor Schwarzenegger declared a state of emergency in Riverside County and ordered flags at the California Capitol to be flown at half-staff. Several government and private agencies, everyone from a logging magnate to the Peokowichum tribe, donated to the over half-million-dollar reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the arsonist. Less than a week later, the sheriff's homicide unit arrested Raymond Euler for setting two wildfires that summer. According to prosecutor Michael Hestron, inside his car, authorities found a wig, latex gloves, cigarettes, black spray paint, and a partially burned slingshot that was used to launch incendiary devices into the brush. His DNA was found on two cigarette butts used in other nearby wildfires. Euler's girlfriend told police that he had bragged about setting fires and had complained they weren't big enough. She threatened to leave him if he didn't stop, so he quit for six months. Euler was charged with almost two dozen counts of arson and 17 counts of setting fires with an incendiary device. Each individual fire was relatively small, but strong wind and dry underbrush helped them combine together like a criminally lethal Voltron. The jury found Euler guilty of 42 of 45 counts against him, including five counts of first-degree murder, 20 counts of arson, and 17 counts of using an incendiary device. As of this report, Euler is still sitting on California's death row. We've got a good handle on the what, so let's look at the why. Why are we having more and more wildfires? In addition to climate change, wherein rising temperatures means winter snow melts up to a month earlier and summer droughts are longer and more severe, the reason wildfires are getting harder to fight is because we fought too many wildfires. To help that make sense, we need to journey back to 1910 and a fire so large it's called the Big Burn. The name didn't need to be any more specific. No other fire in living memory could come close. It burned three million acres. That's like the better part of the state of Connecticut or slightly more than the country of Kosovo, reduced to cinder and ash. And it killed enough timber to fill a freight train 2,400 miles or 3,800 kilometers long. 1910 was the driest year anyone could remember. It hardly seemed to rain at all that spring. 
Small fires were bursting to life all over, thanks to homesteading, logging, camping, a particularly bad night of dry lightning, that's lightning strikes without rain clouds, and the single biggest contributor, the railroad. Embers carried on the smoke from trains is estimated to have started over a hundred fires that year alone. Those small fires began joining together and gaining strength. By the third week of August, the fire raged across three million acres of virgin timberland in northern Idaho and western Montana. The fire was whipped up by the wind, which was created by the fire. When the hot air rises away from the flames, it creates a low-pressure vacuum near the ground that the surrounding air rushes in to fill, creating wind. Wildfires can even make their own lightning under the right circumstances. The fire was able to ride that wind across half-mile or 800-meter canyons. The winds reached hurricane force, blowing full-grown trees over like dominoes. The trees still standing in the inferno were prone to exploding as the water inside them boiled and built up steam pressure before the outside had burnt through to release it. The smoke blacked out the sun as far north as Saskatoon, as far south as Denver, and was even noticeable in New York State. The entire town of Wallace, Idaho was burned to the ground. Before the fire reached it, the women, children, and elderly or infirm were evacuated by train while all able-bodied men were ordered to help fight the fire. Eighty-six people, most of them firefighters, died in the big burn. One firefighter who survived was Ranger Ed Pulaski. He and his men hid in an old mine shaft, covered with wet blankets, when the fire cut off all other escape. I say he and his men, but it was really only about a quarter of the men who had set out that day. We know his name today largely because he campaigned for a monument to the fallen fighters of the Big Burn, and for the Pulaski firefighting tool. Until relatively recently in mankind's sometimes chaotic relationship with fire, firefighting tools were whatever you had on hand, and they often did the job as well as you would expect from improvised tools. Enter the Pulaski. Picture a fireman's axe, but instead of the sharp point at the back, it has something like a stretched-out hoe blade, or the old-timey woodworking tool called an adze. The firefighters can chop down trees with the axe side and use the adze side to dig trenches and cut away roots. While there is debate as to whether Ed Pulaski refined the tool from an existing one, or if it was later named after him in his honor, the Pulaski is a handy tool that is still in use today. The design remains basically unchanged. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Though there is also a Super Pulaski, which is longer and beefier. Following the Big Burn, the Forest Service enacted policies with a singular, zero-tolerance focus. Put out all fires. The Forest Fires Emergency Act of 1908 had authorized nearly limitless spending for fire suppression, and in 1935, the 10 a.m. policy took effect. 
the 10 a.m. policy dictated that any and all fires must be contained and controlled by 10 o'clock in the morning, the day after they were reported. For a while, everything was going swimmingly, and it reinforced the thoroughly colonizer mindset that white men have to jump in and control things that were otherwise getting by fine on their own. You see, fire happens. Fire has always happened. And like everything else in nature, it serves a purpose. Every so often, between 5 and 25 years, it's estimated, natural fires in the forest burn leaf litter and debris on the ground, as well as smaller, what's called understory plants, preventing a buildup of fuel on the forest floor. Because the vegetation is burned while still in relatively small quantities, the forest fires are themselves smaller and shorter-lived. They tend not to reach the high canopies of trees, and so the forest survives. The new tender plant growth after the fire, fed in part by the carbon of the burned plants, draws the animals back to the area, and before long, Bob's your uncle, the forest is its old self again. Then we showed up. And by we, I mean what George Carlin self-identified as Whitey the Blue-Eyed Devil Patio Fay Gray Boy Honky Motherfucker. Fire bad, we declared. Things seemed to be going our way for a while, and there were fewer fires. Then a trend began to emerge. There might have been fewer fires, but the fires that didn't fall to the 10 a.m. policy were getting bigger and bigger with each passing year. Picture an average house with an average amount of stuff that gets cleaned with average frequency. A fire in the house would be bad. Trust me, I'm an expert on the topic. But you'd be able to get out, and the fire department could probably still save the house. Now picture any episode of Hoarders. Imagine one of those houses catching fire. Without the regular small fires to clean house, there was Boku fuel to help fires grow and spread. Thanks to the buildup of dead plants on the forest floor and understory plants that were taller than they used to be, the fires could now reach the canopy, killing trees that would otherwise survive and using them as fuel to burn that much hotter. It took us 40 years to figure this out and abandon the 10 a.m. policy. Since then, the Forest Service has focused its effort on fighting fires that threaten human life and property, the nonstop expansion of which is also part of the problem, while permitting smaller, not directly threatening us fires to burn naturally. Prescribed burns, often done in the wetter part of the year, are used in imitation of the periodic small natural fires to thin out potential fuel sources. Provided the EPA doesn't ban the burn because of the smoke violating the Clean Air Act, or there's an endangered species living in the area, or the public protests because they don't understand that we are literally fighting fire with fire. But we may be trying to dig our way out of too big a hole. Between 1960 and 1999, wildfires destroyed nearly 141 million acres of land in the U.S., between 2000 and 2013, 
nearly 161 million acres were consumed by wildfires, more in 13 years than the previous 40 years combined. And that's where we run out of ideas, at least for today. The Gender Reveal Party, which in this reporter's opinion is a megalomaniacal attempt to get yet more presents out of your friends and family, is credited to a colorful cake that started the trend, made by Myers Carvanitas in 2008. What's her hot take, no pun intended, on the recent news? According to her Facebook page, High Gloss and Sauce, Stop it. Stop having these stupid parties. For the love of God, stop burning things down to tell everyone about your kid's penis. No one cares but you. Couldn't agree more. Just paint the nursery purple, green, or yellow and have done with it. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. And thanks for waiting out that six weeks of reruns. And stay safe. Get ready to geek out. The Wired Science Podcast explores all the latest and greatest in science. Everything from strange diseases and biological breakthroughs to interesting tech and mysteries in outer space. Listen to Wired Science today wherever you get your podcasts. That's Wired Science wherever you get your podcasts.